Hello, I'm Tara Ruckman. And I'm Stephanie Howe, and we are Control the Chaos EDU. Are you burnout? Are you feeling frustrated or overwhelmed? Or maybe it's the opposite, and you're a go-getter and want to level up. Then it's time to dive in with real talk and solution-focused conversations. Welcome to today's Control the Chaos conversation. We're going to be talking about feedback and how it can kind of build stronger relationships, but also how it can tear people down. And I'm going to share kind of something personal that I've just been kind of seeing or dealing with. And we like to keep it real here. So here it goes. Um, There's this person and when they give me feedback, it's always kind of tearing me down or thinking of different ways that I am just doing everything wrong and really pointing it out. And when that person gives me feedback, I typically kind of ignore them because I feel really controlled. And I was doing some research on ways to give feedback because I think it's really interesting because I think if you give feedback in a positive way and you're very focused on how to give this feedback, it can really change and help the relationship, but also it can grow people a lot faster than if you control them. And part of the research, it was talking about informational versus controlling. And there's some people in this world that give very controlling feedback. And when they give that controlling feedback, it's kind of like another step of direction. Like you're not really motivated by it. And so when this particular person gives me that kind of feedback, I kind of get really upset because I'm like, well, they're just trying to control me or they're just trying to do this. And I don't want to listen to them. And another thing that I quickly learned is when I went to Google in Sydney, Australia, the way that I was given feedback at Google was transformational. Like it was just so interesting how they gave feedback and how they used active listening um, of just saying like, I hear you said this, or I re um i was able to kind of go with this direction too and what was also interesting with google is they were more transparent it wasn't just like stephanie you really suck at that (laughs) google was like there was this one time where i also made a mistake similar to what you're talking about and that connection allowed me to grow more as an educator than i ever have and so i think Um, It's really important to kind of think about, well, what is that difference between those two types of feedbacks? We've got Google, when I went to that um, experience, was talking and really transpiring me to be a better educator through that positive uplift and kind of empowering me, where that controlling type of person is more so giving me feedback, but making it feel like it's, you know, all my fault or blaming me or whatever. And, and I don't want to change as much. And so I find that really interesting, but I also can see it coming into the classroom. And there is some research when it comes to feedback. So John Hattie, he uses um, an effect size. And if you are above 0.4, that shows um, a year's plus growth. And so feedback is actually at a 0.73, which is pretty high. It's showing more than a year's growth. And, but it's all about implementation, I think. Because if you're not giving feedback in a purposeful and um, 
informational type of way where if you're more so controlling or giving that person um, some maybe not a psychology, uh, psychological safe environment, I can see that harming that 0.73 in my own instance. That's kind of what I'm feeling. So I think when we look into this research more, yes, giving feedback is a high strategy, but when you look into the research a little bit more, um, it talks about how this effective feedback describes and it doesn't evaluate. So when we're giving feedback to students, we might not be evaluating them or judging them. We're kind of describing their work and we're using a rubric or some type of criteria that is already set. And for me, when I'm going into classrooms to observe, I'm sure Tara is the same way because she's always going into different classrooms. I like to have a list of just like great instructional practices. Did I hear different levels of questions being asked? Did I see student engagement? Were, what were the students doing? Um, and when I have those clear criteria set, I'm able to give very a uh, lot better feedback to that teacher about what they're doing. Where if I'm just going in and I don't have like a list of what I'm looking for, it's probably like, oh yeah, you did a great job. But what is that great job? What are you comparing that great job to? And so again, it's important to have that rubric when you're looking at feedback too, to identify those strengths and maybe those uh, gaps. And then you're able to suggest those next steps for improving. Another thing with feedback is um, it can support that growth and it needs to be timely. So if I wait three months later to tell someone that they did an awful job on something, that again is not great feedback. It needs to be in the moment, immediate, quick, so students can see that error and make corrections on what they're doing. And so one way I like to do this in my classroom was I would have students complete a math problem. And as they were completing it, I would just use a marker. Uh, I have a teacher right now that's using stickers. I think we talked about her last podcast. And I will just star if they did it right. And if they did it wrong, I'll tell them, hey, you need to correct this one. Can you try to find your error? And then I will assist as needed. But again, I like to have them kind of relook at their work and evaluate it and see where did I go wrong before I just tell them that answer. And then one more research um, before we get kind of more into what it is and how we go about it is it can show that when students receive that feedback in a positive way, their learning improves. So research also shows that that kind feedback is much preferred by students rather than that criticism of you did this, this, and this, and this, and this wrong. Um, so that is kind of the research behind it. So again, I think when we're giving feedback, we need to create that psychological safe environment, we need to be informational about it instead of controlling. And then we need to also provide it in the moment and immediate um, as students are learning. A lot of great data and a lot of great information about why feedback. But I'm going to go like real, real life right now. And I'm going to say why make sure that our feedback is well perceived, well given is like, I'm gonna go relate this to my home life. If I'm giving my husband some feedback about some project that I've asked him to do around my house 
and there's something that he's done that I really don't like, um, I have to be careful about the way that I give the feedback. Because if I give the feedback not in a great way to my husband after I've asked him to do that project, he's going to be real slow on correcting what it is that I would like to see. Or he may be reluctant to like continue the project or, you know, get to that next thing on his list that I give him because he's going out of his way to help me and do something that I've asked him to do. And now I'm picking it apart, right? So don't pick people apart for the the things that you're giving feedback on. Don't make them feel like that you're coming from a negative place. Um, so the why, why, and why, why am I saying this as a why? Because that deteriorates the relationship, right? If I'm constantly giving my husband a to-do list or a honeydew project and him helping me or him doing something that I'm telling him to do or asking him to do whatever that looks like, and then I'm constantly picking it apart then that causes that like rift right there because why is he going to want to keep helping me if every time I do, he does something, I complain about the way it's being done. So when you go back to the whys of it and the research, right, like it does support growth. It does support um, development in students. It does, it does fill a gap and it does support all of those wonderful things that your research is. But like the real basics of it um, is the relationship. And a lot of things go back to that relationship. If I'm an a-hole to a kid, giving them feedback back, do they really want to work harder for me? Absolutely not. Just like my husband. If if I give him and ask him to do something and I'm a real a-hole with my feedback back to him, he's not going to feel appreciated. So um, when we're given that feedback, the way we give it is important to that teacher-student relationship. Um, how we, how they perceive us, do they perceive us as somebody that is supporting them and helping their learning, and that's why we're giving the feedback, or do they see us as somebody that's constantly tearing them down and they can't do anything right? And they just want their teacher to be proud of them. So the way we the way we provide that feedback can also be the way a student perceives us as us how we're trying to help them, and that can be a very important piece for the teacher-student relationship. Yeah, I loved what you said there. And one thing that I've also learned from you, Tara, is feedback should sometimes be private. So instead of giving people feedback in public, you want to do that maybe on a one-on-one conversation. And I think, too, social media, some people think that they can just post whatever they want out in the open. But really, you need to send that person either like a direct message or you need to have like a one-on-one conversation with that person Um, Because that's going to be better received than when it's out there, like in front of the entire class or in front of all of their colleagues um, when they do make a mistake. And mistakes should be okay and it allows us to grow. But when you are giving that feedback, just make sure you kind of look at your environment 
And is it more of that private conversation between you and that student? Yes. So what is feedback? So some of the things that we want to take into consideration and some questions that we want to ask is like, where are we going? What is our goal? So that way it helps us to know what kind of uh, feedback we're going to provide. Where am I now? Um, kind of goes into that. This is where I am. These are the steps that I need to get there. So if I if I am here and I if I am at A and I need to get to C, then I don't. I need to not forget about giving the feedback to get from A to B and then B to C. So knowing where the student is is really important because um, we could have a prop, we could have a math problem, and the problems could be very similar in the work, but a student might not be getting step B, where one student might not be getting has gotten step B, but are needing to work towards step C. So that feedback would look different based on where the student is in their development. Um, that could be in writing, that could be in any, in any feedback that you provide. It could be behavioral. Um, we might have to take some steps to get to where we're going. So where I am now is really important in deciding what type of feedback you're going to give because it might not look all the same, even though the answers could be incorrect and each student could have the incorrect answer, the feedback could be look, look very differently, sound very differently based on where the student is. So that is a really important step in the process and where we're going to next, right? Like, how are we going to get there? Um, it, maybe, maybe the way you're teaching is not working for that student. So maybe we need to teach it in a different way because they haven't got it. And that's why we're giving them that feedback. So looking at ourselves within this as well, if a student misses that problem three times in a row, maybe it's not, maybe the continual feedback to, to the student doesn't need to happen. Maybe we need to think about where we're going next with our teaching because our teaching might need to be different um, versus them needing to change something they've done because maybe it's just not the way they're comprehending the information that we give them. So thinking about lots of those things about what is feedback. Yeah, and another thing is when it comes to feedback, you might be kind of looking over your students or whoever, um, their data or insights about whatever you're kind of teaching them. Maybe it's their performance or maybe it's on a task or a project. And this feedback can come from multiple different places. It can come from you as their teacher. It could come from another colleague. It could be the peers in their class. It could also be written. So maybe you use like Google Classroom comments where you're commenting back to the student um, and giving them feedback. It can also be scored by a computer where it's that auto feedback that students are getting. 
And I know with AI, those are those type of systems are getting better and better every single day. Um, and so there's, again, multiple ways that you're able to provide that feedback to your students. And so when we're looking at how do we do this, the first thing is we want to create that psychological safe environment. So how you do that is first, you just want to provide clear expectations for what the student is working on. So if the student is working on um, maybe a virtual essay, you want to provide them with guidelines and expectations. And I like to use a wonder wall to do this. That just kind of takes the time of the class and it just says, okay, the first five minutes, we're going to view an example that is already done. Then we're going to go over the directions for the next 10 minutes. Then we're going to look at the rubric and then you're going to have time to create. And on that creation, I might also give them like a checklist of what they might need to do. So they need to have like a book cover, their essential question, the summary, the claim, their evidence, maybe a picture of the evidence, um, elaboration. And after they create, then we might do a gallery walk for them to get additional feedback. So again, providing that psychological safe environment, I'm giving the students clarity. I'm using language that is kind and kind of like I notice or I wonder um, and maybe using like the yes and type of language when students are giving out ideas. So when they're sharing something, I might said, yes, I love that idea. Um, and maybe you could add this piece to elaborate a little bit more. Um, so you're providing all of those different pieces, but you provided that success criteria up front. So students know exactly what they're looking for when it comes to that project or that activity and they already have a little bit of safety when it comes to uh, your classroom yeah and i think again that goes back to that part of the relationship too that i talked about earlier um that in itself you know if you have a relationship with the student and trust with the student that relationship is going to uh, grow stronger and you're going to create an environment with trust and that contributes to psychological safety. So, you know, making sure that we have that relationship by way, the way that we, I mean, that's not the only factor clearly that contributes to the relationship, um, but it is a very big part of it with the way a student feel that they're seen and heard and the way that we provide feedback to them, whether they feel like they're being picked apart or they feel like they're do, you're giving them that feedback because you care and you want them to learn. It's super important to mm -hmm. creating that, being a part of that psychologically safe environment. And what happens when students don't feel like they're in a psychologically safe environment there's, there's lots of emotions there that can happen and, and that will contribute to less learning. We will have a deeper level of learning if we have that psychologically safe environment. Yeah, and they won't share either. Your classroom's gonna get very quiet and that's scary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and going back to that informational, you talked about earlier that informational um, and controlling, you know, I have had 
those people that have provided that controlling feedback and been on the receiving end of it. And, um, and that's, it's tough sometimes to handle. It's, it's tough to really um, take that feedback and implement it. Yeah, it's extremely hard. Um, and I think, too, when you are feeling controlled, you feel like the person is kind of sitting far away judging you. They're not in the mess with you trying to support you or help you. And that is part of feedback is being able to say, OK, how can I help you or what supports do you need? And when you're just feeling like that person's controlling you, it's kind of like, OK, that's the thing I need to do next. It's like another set of directions where if it's informational, you're more likely to take that response and you're like, okay, I need to get better at this because I need to elaborate more on this piece um, or whatever it might be. But again, if you're just evaluating or judging, they might not grow as much. Yeah. And I'm going to go further back to say that I made a I've made some mistakes with controlling feedback. So um, being a behavior specialist, a lot of what I do as a, as a specialist would be go in to observe the students. And then when I go in to observe, then I help create a plan to support and then support the team on implementation. I'm in lots of buildings. So I have 14 buildings. And there's been times where I have have gone through that process. And then because of the amount of buildings that I'm in, I haven't been able to then stay to implement and support the team for the implementation process. So then when I come to check back in with them and maybe there's a piece or two that's missing in the implementation process, it, I feel, and, and you know, I ask about it or we talk about it and they were like, well, you, you weren't here to help us. Like you kind of like told us what to do and then we're gone, right? And unfortunately, my job has, has that effect sometimes because I'm in so many places. So I had to take a step back um, over the last few years and learn to develop and change that um, and and seek out ways to be able to provide that feedback to teachers differently. So it used to be that I would, you know, I start off with an observation and I, you know, I go and work through all the processes and then I'm gone and then I have to go on to help the next situation and support the next team. Well, I started going in and doing an observation, but during that observation time, I would then dive in and help support instead of just doing the observation and moving forward, I started doing the observation. And then after I've gotten some data, then I sit and I work with the student or I try some things with the student, try some interventions, try some different ways to support, or even just jump in and walk around and help the classroom and help different students. So that way I'm not just provide like getting my observation and running and then providing this feedback without ever have 
interacting with the student or the team um, because that has been hard for teachers from a coaching perspective when I have done that. You're like, you, you were just in my class to observe. You don't, you know, then it's harder to take that feedback on what to do to support those behaviors. So um, I, I will go in now and do a little differently, take the data that I need and then walk around and try to support different ways in the classroom. And some teachers really want that feedback. Um, so I think it's also knowing the person that you work with. Um, for me, you know, going back to a personal thing is sometimes I have to be given a controlling feedback, like Steph said this morning, um, like they have to tell you that because if, if they give it to you in a different way, you're like, oh, well, maybe I can do that. So I went to the doctor yesterday and I was like, can I be released back to normal life? No. Can I shave my legs? No. Can I um, do this? No. Can I do that? No. Can I do yoga? No. What can I do? Um, you can move around the house just a little bit. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like they were very blatant on like, not we'll see in a week how you're doing or it was very like, it was that controlling. There was no like informational feedback about it. It was just, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. So, um, so knowing my personality, I, I think that that's the way they had to give me the feedback on the things that I was doing to just like throw it out there to say, no, you can't do that. And I was okay accepting, you know, I actually, I did struggle with the feedback a little bit, but I accepted it because I know then they followed up with that informational piece and then said, okay, now this is why there's a no in place. So you can also combine controlling and informational. You can first lay some expectations down if it's done in, in an appropriate way, right? Um, a way that's not picking the student apart, like it was just a clear definitive no, but then followed up with the informational piece to help create that understanding of why the no happened. So no, this cannot happen because, and that's how they followed it up for me. So I had that feeling of that control, but then it was followed up by informational, which made it all make sense in my mind then, and I was able to accept that. So that's also another piece. We're not saying never to give controlling feedback. It's just the way it's delivered and, and then having that combination of um, informational with it to help gauge that student understanding. Yeah, that is a good point, too. I think accommodation is good. And yeah, it can be hard when you are a coach or an admin and you you do feel like, OK, I am giving a lot of controlling. But just think, how can you support as well? What can you do? And I was listening to another podcast and it was really interesting. Now, I think you have to be a pretty strong leader in order to to receive some of this feedback. But a lot of times people hold out on 10 percent. And so people will share about 90% about what is going on, but that root cause of the main issue is at that 10%. And so sometimes as leaders, we have to make people feel psychological safety in order for them to share that 10% of what's holding them back or what is 
um, maybe scaring them or what they're kind of thinking or whatever. But again, that can be sometimes hard for a leader to hear too. But just kind of think as a leader, do you create that environment where your staff can openly share as well that that 10% that is kind of holding them back from maybe sharing um, what's really going on or what they're really struggling with in the classroom. And so then after we kind of look at that controlling and that informational type of feedback, is your feedback actionable? And another kind of level up, if you wanna say, is when it comes to feedback, um, a lot of times I like to give writing conferences feedback, right? Because every single student is typically writing a different story. It might be on the same topic, but everybody's writing is a little bit different. And so when you are conferencing with students, when it comes to writing, let's say you meet with one student two weeks ago, and then you meet with them again. If you see improvement in their writing, you should say it. Say what you've seen them do, um, because that will boost their confidence. That will boost that what they're doing does matter and what they're doing is seen. So I think it's really important to kind of take what students have done in the past. And as they have improved it, celebrate it. Same thing with teachers. If you're working with a colleague, um, celebrate those small wins of just different things that they have done, but also make it actionable. So when they do have the student, you give the feedback, have that student go back to their seat, correct it, come back up to get maybe a quick check-in to make sure they're on the right path um, or to say, yes, that is correct, you're doing great. Um, but again, you've got to make it actionable. You sh a lot of times there's some research out there that talks about when you give students a grade on their paper, they, they just stop. Their mind is like, okay, it's kind of like a fixed mindset where if you don't give a grade, the students will go back and look at your feedback and um, make it actionable. And so if you are giving grades, just kind of think about that. Am I giving them? And the students have that kind of fixed mindset where they're like, oh, this is as best as I can do. Or are they using that feedback to be actionable and really focus on what they're doing um, when it comes to feedback? So much about feedback, and this is a series. So we have feedback episode one, and we have our next feedback part two, like the long term of giving feedback, some positives and negatives, some tips on how to give it, um, closing, closing the feeding gap on our next episode, and important concepts behind feedback as well. So to learn more about feedback, we will be with you next week as well for this two-part episode, Feedback 1 and Feedback 2. Um, we actually have to have better names than Feedback 1 and 2, but that's what we'll call it for now. And until we post the episode, that's what it will be. Um, for our call to action, like, subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and provide us some feedback, some positive feedback in your review. That would be wonderful. Practice your feedback in our review. Give us something good to read. And until next time, control the chaos. Thanks for listening to Control the Chaos EDU. Check out the description for show notes. We look forward to connecting with you on social media. Subscribe to the weekly podcast so you never miss an episode. Control the chaos until next time.